What's up, everyone? Welcome to the pod. My name is Paige. And I'm Emily. And we are two explorers walking down a Calgary path when suddenly a driverless Jeep just careens over the side of a cliff over us for no apparent reason. And you're listening to Tuesdays Are for Twilight. Um, how's it going? What the fuck's up? Oh, my life is just exploding into joy. It's so much is going on. <laughs> okay, love to hear it. Let's hear more. Please elaborate. Um, so since I don't have to take any classes this summer, I feel free to read for fun again. I don't know if anyone else has this problem, but I, so I used to be a huge reader back elementary, middle, high school. I love to read, but being in college, there's just literally no time to read recreationally, especially if you have any kind of specialization in English, because it would be, there would be some semesters where I was reading like five or six books just for one class, let alone all of my other classes where I'm doing reading on scientific papers. It's just, and outside of school, I have to do homework. I was working pretty much full time. Like there, there's just no time for me to read. And so this summer is the first summer since like 2019 that I haven't had to take summer classes. And I was talking about this with Emily and I don't know if anyone else feels the same way, but summer to me is just the perfect time to go to the library. The town where we grew up, back in like the summer, they would always have, the libraries would always have these reading incentive programs. And I just read so much during the summer. So now my brain just associates summertime with going to the library and reading a lot. And okay, fans, this is what I want. Not that I want help, but any suggestions, recommendations. I've been getting really into graphic novels. I really loved graphic novels in school. I read quite a few of them, like in my adolescent literature class and in my modern 20th century fiction class. Um, they're just, they're easy to read. They are, I love the art combined with literature. And it really makes me feel accomplished. I have read since we last recorded probably like 15 to maybe 18 books because they're graphic novels. I, I can read like two or three in a day and they're just so fun. And I, a anyways, if anyone has any great graphic novel recommendations or graphic novels that they love, I'd love to hear them. Um, I'm trying to read through Paper Girls right now, but my library only has the first volume. So now I have to buy the other volumes, which isn't bad. I love it. But, um, Anything that's kind of like that, female protagonist, badassery, science fiction, I love all that. So anyways, that's what's up with me. I love that so much for you. I have two thoughts. One, you should write the library district in our hometown a letter because I feel like they would be so jazzed that you just said that like it basically conditioned you to read in the summer as an adult. Number two, I also love going to the libraries in the summer. Mostly, not mostly, but partly because they had such good air conditioning. What was up with that? It was it, walking in the door. It was like a burst of refreshment. Truly. And then one had rabbits. Didn't they have rabbits at one of them? You know what I'm talking about? I, the only one I ever went to was the one, there was a Chipotle near it, and it had like a totem pole inside. Yeah, I know that one that you're talking about. I think this one was downtown and it randomly like had rabbits in it interesting yeah anyway shout out libraries they need better funding i feel like i saw a tumblr post long ago where it's like there are very few places where money is not a thing that matters in them and library is one of those places where it's like we literally just want you to come in and read like there's nothing for you to spend money on i think my library membership was free if not it was like ten dollars and i've had it for at least four years at this point the amount of money I've saved not buying books is insane it's like you can go in you could spend your whole day there pick a table bring a lunch sit down and just read don't have to spend a heckin dollar there and they're they want you to be there come on in my library I go there and I do spend money there because they have a printer and I do not have a printer but it's like 10 cents a page so it's yeah. like I spent money there but um it's not the main reason that I'm going there to spend money you know 
Yes, yes, totally. I think all or most library memberships are free. I think that's like a big incentive of them. Also, they always have such good resources. They have like computers that anyone can use. Our library district, few people know this, but they actually have a video equipment studio that you can like rent and go in and like film videos. They got they got a lot going on. They got a museum program where they have like these passes to all the museums in town and you can just check them out and go see museums and then bring it back. I did not know that. Yep. Shout out libraries. We love libraries. <laughs> mm-hmm. Guess what? We're, this is a podcast about a book and you know where a book can be found? A library. Yep. And you don't have to give Stephanie Meyer your money. Ooh! I did, speaking of which, I did buy a copy of New Moon this week, uh, yesterday. So we're getting close to some new information. Yes, ma'am. And just know that we don't like giving her our money, but we have these books for so long. We got to take notes. We got, you know, we, we have no choice. I think, you didn't you say we we're going to get a secondhand store anyhow? So I was going to, but then they were closed on Memorial Day, and I wanted to buy it that day. So I did go to Barnes & Noble. You know what? I love Barnes & Noble. I fucks with Barnes & Noble. Also, I, I was telling a bunch of people this, that I told myself I was going to Barnes & Noble to get New Moon, but I was really going because I wanted to buy all of the other volumes of Paper Girls because my library doesn't have them, and they had volume one, three, five, and six. So I couldn't even get three because I didn't have two, you know? And it's it's a kind of graphic novel where it's a linear story, so I would need two in order to continue it. So I got I bought one because I'm like, honestly, I would love to own these books. They're amazing and beautiful. And then I also got Watchmen because it's iconic, and I've read that graphic novel so many times, and it was right there just on display, and it was like 30 bucks. Also, I was thinking about it, and I spent like $85. It was a textbook for my 20th century fiction class. Textbook, quote unquote. It was a book that was in the curriculum, and I spent $85 on it, and I bought it at Barnes & Noble brand new for, I think it was like $29.99. What? Yeah. The textbook industry is corrupt. It's insane. That's a subject for another day. I got I got some other stuff to tackle first. <laughs> yeah, luckily with like an English background, you can get a lot of your quote unquote textbooks at the library. I did that. Once I realized I could do that, you could just rent a book because it's like we spend like two weeks on a book and then move on. That's about how long it takes to check a book out of the library. So once I realized I could do that, I saved so much money. Yeah, totally. Yeah, at my school, you could, like, rent them and then just turn them in at the end of the year, which was nice. Yeah, that is nice. So we got a few things to cover at the top here. First of all, I need to do a shout-out and also um, a self-call-out. Anne sent us, our friend of the pod, Anne, she, and listener, she sent us this email with a couple papers that she wrote about the intersection of race in Twilight, and I told her I was going to read them on this road trip that I just went on, which is why we didn't have an episode out last week. I sure did not. I sure just slept. Actually, that's not even true. I drove most of the time because my mom does not like highway driving. But in the time that I wasn't driving, I was sleeping. <laughs> so, and I haven't read them yet. I will. I promise. It's just been crazy. I was just going to say that I wish I could get my planner tattooed onto my brain because I literally need it so that I have so much shit going on. This is not a complaint. It's just a statement that I'm so glad I bought. I bought this planner like three weeks ago. And I'm like, if I hadn't bought it, I would have burst into flames by now. I get, I'm guessing you're not the kind of person like me who buys a planner and uses it for like less than a month. And then you don't use it anymore. No, I use it for the whole year. I'm sorry. And it's okay. I mean, I... I really try, I, I'm just not the kind of person where writing, physically writing stuff down is going to help me remember it. Like, I think that I do have a pretty good memory in the things that I have to do, or if like something is important, maybe I'll make a note of it in my phone, but I've just never been able to maintain a written planner ever, not even in middle school or high school when they gave us planners for free. 
Yeah, I mean, that, there's nothing wrong with that. Lots of people are like, it's like a visual learner versus like the other types of learners. I don't know enough about it to really say, but it's not like a bad thing that you don't have to write stuff down to remember it. I just, I think it would help my life to get it organized, but I don't have any interest in helping myself. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Number two on my list, we have to welcome a new patron into the fold. Mandy, our fellow Colorado girl. She reached out to us on Instagram and she became a patron. Welcome. We are so happy to have you. Welcome, Mandy. I am so glad you're a listener reading your Instagram message. Emily was responding to you on Instagram, but I was there just looming in the shadows reading everything. But so nice and it's so heartwarming. And I think it's just we're just so grateful that people even want to be patrons for us. Like we're so appreciative and thankful for that. So welcome and also big thanks. Totally, totally. Number three on my list is we are sort of getting close to finishing this damn book. So when we do, we're hoping that'll be like in July sometime. I mean, we have, including the one you're listening to right now, we have one, two, three, four, five episodes left. So after that, whenever that may be, we would like to do another patrons only thing. And so we would love to hear from you guys that are patrons or donors and, um, you know, or both, whatever it may be, what you would like us to do. You know, we've done an Instagram live before. Somebody suggested a debate, which I thought was a cool idea. That might have been Anne. I don't remember who did that. But anyways, we have some ideas swirling around. But if there's something specific that you would like us to do, let us know. Yeah, I really like the concept of a debate. Um, so if anyone has any debate ideas that they'd love to to hear us debate, um, that could be very fun. Or if you have any other ideas, we'd love to hear them. Yeah. You know how to reach us. Call me, beat me if you want to reach me. I'll say it again at the end of the episode because I always fucking do. But uh -huh. <laughs> anyways, I think that's my whole list for now. So this week we read Midnight Sun, chapters 23 and 24, Goodbyes, and what was the other one? Ambush. Okay, what did you think of these two chapters? Goodbyes? It was a bummer, like I predicted. Didn't like any of that bits. Um, I was kind of shocked at how short, I want to say, or like quick, um, the actual goodbye between Edward and Bella was. Like, I feel like it was completely, I don't want to say skipped over. It was talked about. But like the lead up to it was big and huge. And then the actual moment of it happening, it was like, it didn't happen. I thought that that was truly bizarre. Um, ambush was actually like kind of scary like reading about James from Bella's perspective you only really get the scariness right up at the moment when she is in the ballet studio with him that's very scary reading that but before when she's at the hotel with Jasper and Alice you don't really like get any kind of tenseness it's just kind of them at the hotel. But seeing this from Edward's perspective, it really shows how conniving, maniacal, I like really such a bad guy that James is. Like he's very smart and good at what he does. And this chapter really kind of makes it more serious in my eyes. The, the actual like depth of, what is going on here and why all of the Cullens are so worried and why Edward is freaking out so much. Like you really do see in this chapter why everyone is super worried. Yes, definitely. I totally agree. The second chapter to me, I don't know if you're going to get this reference and if you don't, it's going to be really lame, but have you seen any TikToks or Instagram reels that are like, it's that Nikki. I don't even know if it's a song or if someone remixed it just from a noise she made one time, but it's like Nicki Minaj and she's going like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> that was like playing in my head the whole time I was reading it. Yep, I could see that. Also, if anyone knows what that is, let me know. Because if it's a song, I definitely want to get down to it in the club. <laughs> I feel like it's it's like a snipping little bits from a song and putting them all together. <laughs> Whoever did that is a fucking genius. <laughs> it is never not funny when I hear it. Mm -hmm. Okay, anyways, 
yeah, let's jump into starting with chapter 23. So this whole thing is basically just them racing to execute their the plan that Bella came up with to basically keep Charlie safe and get away. And um, for a second, Edward considers like just staying and keeping constant watch over Bella so that they don't have to like go through this whole charade. But um, as he's thinking about that, Alice is seeing the outcome of it in the future. And James is just like killing random people. And I wrote in my notes, this is some next level shit. So I'll just read it really quick. As I considered this, Alice saw how the tracker would wait, how he would adapt, how he would, after the boredom set in, begin a war of attrition, Bella's friends disappearing in the night, favorite teachers, Charlie's co-workers, random humans who had no connection to her. The numbers would add up to the point where the resulting scrutiny would force us to disappear regardless. I'm like, Bella would not let it get that far. This bitch goes on a suicide mission in about 20 pages, so... Yeah, I, I, it's very hard for me to picture Bella, who is so selfless through this whole thing, just being like, well, nothing we can do, you know, <laughs> she just wouldn't. Truly. Um, and also later at some point he talks about like, I don't like Mike Newton, but he doesn't deserve to die. And I was like, you've literally been talking about how you want to throw him through a wall, like the entire book. <laughs> The note that I wrote for that specific part, since we're already getting to it, I wrote, this pasty, petty ass. Bella literally snipped ties with Charlie and is risking her own life to be with you, and you're still bringing up Mike Newton. Get over yourself. Oh my god, so true. (laughs) So speaking of snip ties, um... They basically get to the house. There's like this is so elaborate in a way that we did not realize in Twilight from Bella's point of view. Like I just thought I don't know what I thought Alice and Emmett were doing while this was going on. You didn't think that Alice was underneath the car moving it with her bare arms? Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> and my note was it was for it. Oh my god, I can't speak today. My note for it was this is so elaborate I can't keep up because it was. That says it all. And then Bella puts on her little performance where she, well, first she, like, does this corny thing with Edward. Don't listen to another thing I say tonight, or whatever the fuck. And then, yeah, so she goes in with Charlie. And luckily Edward is, like, he may have two brain cells to rub together, but he understands that he's not supposed to, like, say anything or just, like, he's just supposed to help her pack and then get the hell out the way. And... Um, even when he gets confused kind of about her plan because she says, you know, I broke up with him, blah, 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 whatever. Also, everything about this with Charlie was as bad as you were saying. I didn't really remember how severe it was because I had just read it this the one time and I hated it. Yeah, I hated it. And it continues on for a while. Like Edward will, like, peek back and see what's going on, and Charlie's just numb. He has no thoughts. I'm like, don't tell me that. Yes, and not to jump ahead again, but when they, what is it when they, like, he, like, gets back to Forks or whatever from, like, chasing James, and Charlie is just sitting in his living room with the TV off staring at the wall. It's extremely sad. I, like, all he wants is to give Bella a good life. Like, he knows it's not perfect, but he's he's just a humble dad just trying to do what he thinks is good. And just, like, the mental anguish that he must be experiencing that... I mean, he doesn't know that this is all an act, that this is really to keep him safe and Bella safe. He just He's just believing what she says, and for him to think like I've done all of this Bella wanted to come here and everything that I've done wasn't enough for her in fact it repulsed her she needed to leave how heartbreaking that must have been for him like to have already experienced it with the love of his life we know that he hasn't gotten over her from what Bella has said in Twilight and to now have that one other little part of his life ripped from him her choosing to rip herself from him it kills me inside to think of what he must have been experiencing. 
Paige, next time in an alternate reality, when you go over this part of the chapter, you could actually just stab me in the chest and save yourself the trouble of spending air on it because I can't listen to this. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All I know is that by the end of Twilight, there was some sort of relationship that Bella has with her father again. And I know that we'll get there. We just have to dig our way through. Can I also quickly point out before we move on? On yep. page 526, it's when Bella has, she's basically stormed up to her room at this point and is packing her bags while talking to Charlie. Um, Edward is helping her pack and he says, let me find the actual line. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say. <laughs> So Edward says, she held open the duffel bag and I tossed clothes into it, trying to get a variety of items. It wouldn't help her to blend in if she only had t-shirts. I feel like that gif of, um, is it John Travolta from uh, Pulp Fiction where he's just like kind of like looking around like, what the fuck? All of my outfits are t-shirts. That is the most inconspicuous thing you could possibly wear. No one is going to, no one is going to think anything different if you're just wearing t-shirts. I don't, Edward is so holier than thou, even when it comes to clothes. Also, she's going to Arizona where it's fucking hot all the time. Yeah, if I, if, okay, let's just say hypothetically, I work at Chipotle in Arizona and Bella pops in like once a week or maybe a coffee shop, whatever, where, somewhere that Bella would visit enough that I know that she's a regular if she's wearing a fucking ball gown every time she comes in, I am going to remember her. I, If she wears a t-shirt, I'll probably just remember her face, but she'll just be a regular person. If she dresses weird, I'm going to remember her as this girl who dresses weird. God, so true. He's so stupid sometimes. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out because I also like thought that was weird, but I just forgot to mention it. <sighs> So then, you know, she has to say the terrible thing. Well, first, Charlie tries to stop her with, you know, um, your mom might be back in Arizona in a week or whatever, because, like, Phil's baseball career is tanking, which is such, like, a funny sideshow to me that I'm like, this is what the plot device she had to use. Poor Phil. Anyways, um, and so then Bella says the thing that her mom says, said when she was leaving Forks and they kind of escape into the night and the whole time (laughs) I'm sorry this visual the whole time Alice doesn't want to start the jeep because she's afraid like the noise will alert Charlie that something's up so she's just fucking like I picture her like one leg inside the jeep one leg on the ground and just like you know kind of like pulling it along (laughs) it's just the picture of tiny Alice Pushing this ginormous jeep, it's hilarious to me. It just simply don't make sense. I'm picturing her her legs hooked around the driver's seat like a koala bear, and then she's she's pushing herself with two hands out of the car. That's hilarious. I was picturing it sort of like she was riding a razor scooter that was actually just a jeep, but that wouldn't work because she's not tall enough. Do you get what I'm saying? Like one leg in and then one leg like pushing off. Yeah, and it also does say that one of her hands is on the steering wheel controlling the Jeep and the other one is pushing. So I don't really understand. I mean, this is also the chapter in Twilight where Edward picks Bella up and moves. Yeah, you're going to bring this up. It's because she just glosses on over it in this book, like as if nothing is amiss. But you know what? It is amiss. I'm missed right now. Things are amiss. Also, this is not really that related and probably no one cares but I just want to say that in college I went to a personal trainer well I started going to him in like high school but anyway and sometimes when I was like I had a real attitude with him just because like we were on that level you know and sometimes when I had been a little too sassy he would literally this is like in a nice gym with like tons of nice equipment he would fucking make me go behind the building and push his truck around for no reason (laughs) I mean, probably to quote-unquote make me stronger or whatever, but it was terrible! Sounds like child abuse. 
I mean, I was in college, so. Elder abuse? I don't know. (laughs) Truly. I could have just been like, I'm not doing this. I mean, I was paying to do it. Yeah, therein lies the problem. (laughs) Anyways. Um, So as they're... Yeah, I'm just going to skip over the part where fucking Edward takes over because Paige will go off again. <laughs> you know what? I I support you and I agree. But we do we don't need to go over it. If you if you want to hear our hot take on it, you listen to the episode in Twilight. I don't know what the number is or the name, but you can find it. <laughs> I'm curious actually. Now I'm going to look. Uh It might be you know, actually it is this one cuz you named it Spaghetti Arms. Yes. <laughs> So, episode 13, listen to Paige's hot take in that one. Okay. So, I'm just skipping over that. As they're driving along, um, Emmett is, like, taking this really seriously. He's, like, you know, he considers himself, like, Bella's protector now. And Edward is trying to, like, distract Bella, but it's not really working. And then Bella asks, you know, why is this happening to me specifically? And Edward basically says it's because, you know, I defended you and that, like, caused him to realize that it would be, like, a great challenge for him and, like, super fun. And then he kind of, in his own mind, has this thing where he's like, maybe we should have just attacked right then. And, like, if, since we didn't, does that make us weaker? Like, because that's our nature. Like, normal, quote-unquote normal vampires probably would have just done that. What do you think about that? I actually wrote the same thing that I was going to ask you if you think that them being the way that they are does make them weaker. In my mind, I think that there's compelling arguments for both sides. And it all kind of depends on what you're defining weak and strong as. Because I think that there is merit to what he's saying that a normal vampire would have just fought them and they would have definitely won. I mean, they beat him in the end of this book. So it kind of goes without any question in my mind that if they had just resorted to fighting right then and there, that they would have won. So I think that there is merit in them saying that the lifestyle that they've chosen makes them weaker. But I think that they are stronger in many other ways. Like the fact that Carlisle is a doctor is one of the strongest things that I've ever heard. His ability to be able to hold back on this animalistic side of himself is insane. And that they're all able to do that. I mean, not to the extent of like being in surgery, but they have their own strengths that separate them apart from other vampires. And I think put them above in some classifications. I would say with the classic definition of strong and weak I would say they are weaker but in the way that I think about it I feel like they're stronger yeah I feel like I agree with that I feel like it would have been much more efficient to just do it right then Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes them quote-unquote weak I honestly didn't really think about that part I was more considering the question of like should they have just done it right then and the answer is yes (laughs) yeah I didn't they that's why why didn't they it's just like I mean I guess you know the fact that Bella is there is kind of lame but I mean they fight him and Bella's literally dying on the ground in the ballet studio so it just it it definitely makes more sense to have just dealt with it then and there yeah I mean I think it's just that Carlisle is so anti-violence that like they have all been conditioned to just have their first reaction be like defense instead of attack you know yeah Yeah, and I mean, anything to kind of keep themselves on the DL. I mean, I don't know if them fighting other vampires would alert the general public of them, but it would stand out probably to any other supernatural creature that's there. So, I mean, it could could be a detriment to them, how they live their lives. And also, I feel like the fact that they don't really resort to violence doing something really ferocious like that would stand out in their minds and probably weigh heavily on them for a while. At least some of them. I don't think it would weigh heavily on Emmett. 
Um, <laughs> but like Carlisle for sure, I think would be kind of disturbed about the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. When Edward tells him the plan a little bit later on, he is like kind of not pissed, but like sad that they will probably have to kill James. Yeah, like Carlisle kind of is like, I guess we kind of don't have a choice. And it's like, yeah, you kind of don't. I mean, the other, the only other choice is Edward is like, nah. So, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess it's not really, I don't know. It's all bad. They should have just fought them right then and there. Agreed. Um, so then they get to the Colon house finally, and Laurent is there. But first, I would just like to say, <laughs> what page is this on? Five thirty-six. Okay, I'm not there yet. Um, skipping ahead a little bit. Okay. So when they get there, um, Jasper whispers, "Come, my love," in Alice. Or no, Alice. Oh my God, I totally thought this was Jasper the whole time. Alice whispers to Jasper, come, my love. And I'm like, why are we doing sexy talk right now? This is not the moment. I mean, it, it, it makes sense coming from Alice's mouth. It sounds like something that she would say. But if you if it was your brain and you thought it was Jasper, it would be like, what the fuck? Yeah, it was because I'm illiterate. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, what a weird choice. <laughs> um. So anyways... Edward gets a front row seat to Laurent's thoughts, and he's just basically incredulous that they're putting themselves at risk because he thinks that they have no chance against James because he has seen James kill so many people and, you know, even thinks to himself how he only got with James for protection and how he's, like, really, like, he's going to go and hide because if James comes and finds him, it'll probably be bad, which is very astute of him because it's true. Yeah, and I mean see later in ambush that Laurent was right to be incredulous because James kind of best them in that chapter and there's literally three of them versus one of him and he gets away pretty easily I would say yeah totally and he can't help but like wonder why they're doing it for Bella because she obviously seems like unremarkable to him I just think I would love and Maybe this has been released. I don't remember. Somebody let me know. But I would love Laurent's backstory because there's this one thing specifically that he's that Edward says about him. Oh, yeah. Okay, found it. It's on page 538. So he says that he's going to go meet the clan in um, Denali, so like Tanya's clan. And he is thinking to himself, like, he's impressed by both Carlisle and kind of, like, the life that they have and, like, how they're living in, you know, relative normalcy, sort of, I guess. But anyways, the line I wanted to point out was, it's kind of, like, towards the top. Laurent's eyes swept through the room, appreciating a kind of life he'd left behind long ago. Though this was not a palace and he lived in several, there was an atmosphere of permanence and sanctuary here that he'd not felt in centuries. I'm like, where has he been? I want to know. Tell me. You can't just gloss over the fact that someone lived in several palaces and not describe why. Precisely. Um, so then Laurent departs and, you know, they kind of are going over the plan. Everybody's kind of packing really quickly. So then Edward tries to get Rosalie to change clothes with Bella to kind of confuse the scent, which we already knew about this. But we see it from Rosalie's point of view, where, you know, she's she basically says that Bella has ruined everything that they've built and that she won't she won't help. Do you think Rosalie is being selfish here? I it's hard for me. I I would say I like I feel no and I also feel yes. I my heart says no. I mean, she kind of isn't really involved in any way in this. Like Bella kind of isn't anyone to her. And I mean, for in all honesty, Bella really isn't any any isn't anyone special for any of them except Edward. So this is a lot going in um for a single person to benefit from this. But I also remember thinking this when we were reading Twilight, like why, like Rosalie has a point, why is everyone going out of their way to help this situation when 
Edward seems like he's the only one kind of benefiting from this relationship. And I want to say it was Alice, maybe, or Jasper tells her that Edward has been in such a sour mood for like a hundred years and that her coming into his life has been such a drastic change to him that they would they would never be able to get over it if he went back to that horrible attitude and sadness. Like it, it was such a positive change to him that they want to keep that going. So I feel no in that Rosalie doesn't really have any ties to this relationship. So she has a valid point in that she's basically no one to her. So why should she go out of her way to do all of this? But also it is benefiting everyone in the family that Edward is, just in a better mood and he's her brother and it is Bella is a really important person to him so I can kind of see it going both ways yeah yeah I was curious your thoughts on it I'll be honest I think Rosalie is being selfish here because I think that if it was her in Edward's position I mean obviously we don't get the chance to ever see that anyone else in this family compromised in that way but I think that Edward would do it in a heartbeat. Even though he is kind of a piece of shit, I feel like he would do it in a heartbeat. Like, and it's just kind of frustrating to me that she can't put that aside. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you're definitely right that I think he would. I can I can see, though, that it just, it seems like a lot of danger um, that the whole family is being placed on, placed into. Like, it's not, it's not a matter of, hey, can you please stop? being mean to her while we play this baseball game it's also like hey we're gonna hunt down and kill this person who might also try and kill us back like I think the stakes are a little higher here than just like can you just try to be personable a little bit you know like I can see I can see her being like well this kind of seems like a lot for a single person you know yeah totally I totally get where you're coming from on that I think what's driving a lot of it is that she doesn't want Emmett to get hurt above all else but at the same time, I'm kind of like, it's Emmett, you know? And also, Emmett is totally invested, and that doesn't seem to sway her at all. So that I think that's interesting as well. Yeah, that is definitely interesting. I mean, like, Emmett loves Rosalie so much and is always on her side, but you can also definitely see in this chapter that he is 100% in it on keeping Bella safe and keeping her in Edward and his life. Yeah, definitely. So, long story short, she refuses to switch clothes with Bella, so, and Edward doesn't even have time for this shit, which I kind of respect. Um, he's like, anyways, Esme, and so Esme does it, and um, they get, you know, like, the burner phones, is that what they call them? The satellite phones. I think of, like, a burner Twitter account, but anyway. Um, and then, let's see, there was something that Carlisle said that I wanted to point out. Oh, I just said that he was bringing the heat here on page 540 because it comes up again um, because Edward says, you know, the teams are going to be you, Emmett, and me hunting the tracker, and then Alice and Jasper are taking Bella, and then Esme and Rosalie are going to watch Charlie. And so Carlisle says, Rosalie, will you do your part for our family? And she says, for Bella? And he says, yes, for our family, as I said. I don't know, it was just very different like word for or like demeanor for Carlisle to have yeah I mean he's the kind of the patriarch here so it's kind of like well we're all in this together so are you a part of that or are you not like I if if I'm put into Rosalie's shoes like having like my dad figure say that to me I'd be like mm. like like a little disappointed in myself yeah yeah definitely Okay, so pretty much the next thing is this, as Paige said, super brief moment where Edward is basically like, I have to be stronger than going with Bella. I have to end this. And then, you know, he just kind of like, he says, shut down all this agony so I could do my job, destroy the danger. And it's pretty quick. It's like half a page. Yeah, I feel like, like had, had Bella died, in that in what happens later I feel like he would have hated himself for that goodbye you know he doesn't even say anything he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't say I love you he doesn't say be safe like it's it's nothing 
You're right. Wow. I didn't even realize till just now that he doesn't say a damn word. Yeah, I would be, if, if I were in Edward's shoes and my significant other died, that would haunt me to, for, until the end of my immortality. That that was what I gave them as a parting word. If, if, parting word, quote unquote. Damn. So true. <laughs> Anyways, um, kind of the last thing I wanted to point out in this chapter was, okay, page, it's on page 541, so a little bit back actually. But um, Edward makes this comment, it's towards the top of the page, that he says he tries to use Jasper's savage appearance to calm himself. Jasper was more lethal than the thousands of vampires who tried to destroy him. I just, you know, want to point that out. That's all. You got any new thoughts on that? I'm I'm scared to see the monster unleash that is Jasper. I mean, all I know is that he has a troubled backstory and that clearly he's a lethal fighter. And it's like, what is he? I feel like, is he going to be, what is he going to do to James? Like, I don't know. We're going to see. We're going to see. You're about to find out. So that's pretty much the end of the chapter. Everybody leaves, you know, separately and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Did you have anything from this chapter that we didn't cover? I did. It is not important at all, but a a question that I would be interested in hearing your response to. Yeah. Does it break the Hippocratic Oath for a vampire doctor to kill another vampire? I don't know, because isn't it like do no harm, but also like prevent the most amount of harm as possible? Isn't that like the caveat part of it? <laughs> or did I make that up? I don't know. I I only thought that it was you can't you can't go out of your way to hurt someone. Like everything that you do has to be in order to help. Yeah, I guess it could be argued in this situation that he is saving life by taking a life because James has made it clear that he will take out innocent people in his warpath. So I would say short answer, no. What do you think? I also say no. Um, technically, they're not alive. So. True. Yeah. And also, you make a very compelling argument that in many lives were saved. Aren't they alive, though? What do you consider alive? Uh, well, the Harvard definition of, like, death or being dead is the um i think it's the the brain oh, now that i'm saying it out loud the harvard definition is that you have no brain function because without the brain you don't have a heartbeat and none of your none of your systems would work basically but aren't there animals that don't have hearts or like creatures Plants don't, and they're alive. Well, I'm talking about, like, humans. I know, but I'm just saying. If you want to get into it. Because these are not humans. Mm-hmm. And also, what about, like, if that's the Harvard definition, aren't there, like, people who are in a comatose state that don't have brain activity, but they're still technically alive? Or what? what is that? Is it, I like, think, alive by machine? Yeah, I think it's that if, if you were just, like, like, existing and your brain didn't have any function, you would die. Got it, okay. Anyways, what do you think? I, I, I don't think that it does. I, I think that he's, I think that it's, the Hippocratic Oath does not extend into the supernatural. Fair. Do you think these people are alive? It's really hard to say. I Edward spent a whole chapter talking about how he doesn't need to breathe and how his heart doesn't beat and that he's, you know, doing his own thing, but somehow his brain is still working and somehow he's still getting boners. So I think that they're alive in their own definition of the word. Okay. Because clearly James is dead at the end of this, and there is a distinction between vampires who are alive and vampires who are dead so they i don't i wouldn't constitute them as a living human 
but I would constitute them as living vampires. All right, I'll accept it. For now. I'm just kidding. All right, that was it from that chapter, though? Yes. Okay, so chapter 24 is basically, like, almost entirely just Emmett, Carlisle, and Edward chasing the tracker around northern the northern United States and also Canada, and he eventually gets in a plane and hops, as we know, to Phoenix, because in the meantime, Victoria went to Forks High School and got Bella's home address from Phoenix, and so now they have a plan, obviously. Um, so as Paige said, he gets away really easily. One thing I do want to point out right at the beginning of this chapter is that he's whispering instructions to Carlisle to text Alice, where he's like, Bella needs to eat at least three times every 24-hour period. People on Tumblr have talked about this already, so it's not an original thought for me. But I'm like, you're telling a doctor this? A doctor. The note that I took for this is, does Carlisle really need Edward telling him instructions on how to live as a human? Isn't he a doctor? Doesn't he have a doctor's degree in medicine? I'm not going to be able to remember who started this discourse on Tumblr, but somebody was like, the whole time, they were just like, you know, their theory was that the whole time Edward was, or I mean, sorry, Carlisle was actually texting Esme being like, he just fucking told me to tell Alice that Bella has to eat. Can you believe this shit? I, in my mind, Carlisle is humoring Edward because he's clearly very manic right now about the whole situation and this is very stressful for him so edward is like you know my son i will listen to you yes tell me the things that i need to tell esme or to tell alice but um in reality he's like i fucking know how to do this okay kid i know what's going on here i know the best part is when he says she should have water on hand it's like no shit do vampires need water I don't know why they would. Hmm. They just drink blood, you know? Yeah, there's water and blood, though. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They don't need it. Like, separately. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Call Stephanie and ask her. How do they have such great skin if they're not drinking any water? Racism. Mm. Makes sense. So, as this hunting party quote-unquote is chasing the tracker they're kind of texting Alice because he keeps doing this thing where he'll jump into like a lake or some other kind of obstacle and they'll like divide it up into threes and then she'll text like which one's going to be right and it just is putting them so far behind that he's like it's like in Mario Kart when you get a little bit ahead and then you get a little more ahead and then all of a sudden you're lapping people that's what it's like yep yep I I can't I can't agree with you more yep um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to go over every single thing because it's pretty much just that the entire <laughs> chapter. Um, I did want to say, though, <laughs> obviously we mentioned them in our intro, but I just wrote the Canadians don't deserve this because I'm just like picturing them running through people's like farmlands, probably stepping on like their crops or like fucking up there, whatever. I don't know. It's just like they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it, and also I'm picturing in Calgary when the police or hikers or whatever stumble upon a very expensive Jeep that is careened off the side of a cliff with no bodies around or evidence of someone escaping the wreckage. I feel like that would be a mystery that would be like on par with, what is it called? The, um, you know, in Russia, the... Um, the pass. Say it again. Diet Love Pass. Yes. And it would be like that where it's like this this thing happened 50 years ago and the mystery still remains unsolved. We have no leads. The license plate doesn't lead back to anyone. It's uh, but it's expensive and it just like they they don't need this mystery. Yet they leave the Jeep there. I don't know. I don't like it. I agree. Like, as you were first saying what you just said, I was like, this should be on BuzzFeed Unsolved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Let's see. So, finally, 
he gets out ahead enough that he basically just takes a shitty plane to Arizona. But they think at first that he's going back to Forks. So that's where they head. Um, first, they, we have this little phone call between Bella and Edward where nothing really happens. The plot doesn't move forward at all. <laughs> and so they run back to Forks. And this is when they kind of run by Charlie's house. And that's when he's doing the sad thing that I want to say again. And so Edward just kind of is doing sweeps over, um, you know, looking for Victoria, but she clearly like went into the water, so he can't track her in there. And then finally at 2.30 in the morning, Alice calls him and says, you know, he's coming here. It's her mother's house. Um, You know, he's coming after Renee and he's going to spread us too thin. Like she's panicking. And I feel like it's bad when Alice is panicking because I feel like she's not a panicker. Yeah, that would be really scary. Yeah. So anyways, you know what? Explain this to me. I, I just, I don't, I don't know the math of it. I don't know the exact speed or the distance, but I'm like, how is it faster for Edward to go to the airport, go through security, wait on the plane while they do all their shit, then get on, like get on the flight, deplane, swim through the sea of people. Like, wouldn't it just be faster for them to run? I don't get that. I feel like that's a plot hole. Yeah, and also I feel like going in an airport puts you like you have to you have to go out of your way to go slow there because you're around a bunch of other humans. And I mean, like we've seen that he has to all of them have to go the extra mile to look human and not go really fast and not look like they're standing completely still like it just seems like it would not help their cause yeah I agree I think Stephanie just needed Bella to have that time to get in the in the trackers clutches and so she just did it but if anyone disagrees let me know I am very curious to hear the other side yes but anyways um Edward decides that he has to fly there and um, he he tells Alice that, you know, him, Carlisle, and Edward will just basically run away with Bella. And then um, Alice and Jasper will have to find Renee. And then the last cent- or the last little section of the chapter is, I started running, dial- dialing Carlisle as I sprinted for Seattle. They'd have to catch up to me. So I breezed over this chapter, but it really was just like them running. Again, Nicki Minaj. <laughs> That's it. That's literally it. <laughs> Did you have anything we didn't cover? Um, I do have something, and it's not related to Twilight at all, but a little part reminded me of this book that I read that I just wanted to recommend. Um, so on page 544, this I think it's the very... No, not 544, sorry, 551. That was the other note. Um, it's one of the phone calls where... Um, they're all kind of talking on the phone or whatever, and uh, Carlisle just briefly says to Esme, like, I love you, and it's just kind of, like, quick and short, and I don't know, I just, in my mind, I picture them being so much in love and, like, loving each other, but that one little, like, Kurt kind of thing, which just, it seemed a little weird, not weird, but just kind of uncharacteristic to me. But I mean, also the situation is kind of tense and there's not really a lot of time to be like really lovey-dovey or have an in-depth conversation. But it did remind me of this book that I read, like I want to say maybe two years ago. It's called Vampires in the Lemon Grove. It's by Karen Russell. And it's basically a book of short stories. So every chapter is a different short story, but all of them kind of have a... Uh, concept of magical realism in them where they're real but just like a little magic-y like a little like kind of unrealistic in a way like one of the stories is a massage therapist who's helping a soldier recovering from PTSD and he has a bunch of tattoos and when she massages certain tattoos she like sees his memories and like the grief that he holds And, like, there's another one where it's, like, there's all different perspectives and cultures that are talked about. Like, one of them is this 
young girl living in, I want to say, like, feudal Japan. And she basically sells herself to a silk company and, like, ends up, like, slowly transforming into a silkworm. All of the stories are really interesting. But the one that the book is named after, it's a story about two vampires that have discovered that they don't need to drink blood, that they can satiate themselves by drinking out of lemons. And so they've been living in this lemon grove for like decades, basically. And it's there, they are a couple. I don't know if they're married or not, but they have a romantic relationship. And it's kind of like a, a relationship that has immortality that's kind of fizzling out. And like you see, like how an immortal creature, immortal creature deals with almost like divorce and like the the thought of spending eternity alone again and it's just like it is it's a big huge bummer but it this reminded me of it because it's like I don't want to say the same thing but it's just like two vampires who don't need to drink blood like I mean Carlisle and Esme aren't breaking up but it just it just reminded me of it so if anyone likes short stories wants a good book Vampires in the Lemon Grove is very good that sounds fascinating. I literally wrote it down while you were talking because I've never heard of it. It sounds really, really good. I love magical realism. Yeah, pretty much every single story in that book has a magical realism element to it. It's excellent. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I am just now getting back into the library thing. To circle back, I have not read a book from the library in a minute just because of COVID and everything, but definitely need to do that. I have two books in front of it, and then I will seriously read this one next. Heck yeah, I love that. So for next week, we are going to do a live reading and live reaction for chapter 25, which is called Race. Paige, do you have any predictions for this chapter? Um, is it a long chapter or is it short? It's 15 pages, so pretty short, especially for Edward. Okay, so basically at this point in Twilight, this is right around when Bella gets the phone call from James she sneaks out, and then she gets captured. Uh, or not captured, but she she is gets into the situation that leads into the rest of the book. I feel like this particular chapter is going to be Edward on the plane, brooding, maybe, um, getting off the plane, finding out from Alice or Jasper, what's going on, and them literally racing to figure out where the heck she is and what they have to do. I don't think that the the final fight is going to be in this chapter. I don't think that there's going to be any interaction with James. I think it's just going to be Edward having a literal panic attack when he finds out that Bella is not with Alice and Jasper and that she might die. All right. Yeah, I like it. For some reason, when you, I don't know what conjured this, but when you were talking about how he's going to find out from Alice that Bella got away, I was just picturing Alice standing in the airport as that SpongeBob that like is wearing the purple dress and like has the purple lipstick and is holding the purse like, oh, fuck. <laughs> With a little sign that says Edward, parentheses, Bella got away. <laughs> Truly. Oh, my God. Can you imagine having to deliver that news? Jesus Christ. Edward Cullen. No, thank you. I mean, really, she doesn't have to quote unquote deliver it because he'll read it in her mind. But still. Still having to exist with Edward Cullen after that news has been delivered. No, not interested. Miserable. (laughs) All right. Well, We're glad to be back, and thanks for listening to our episode today, guys. Like we said, message us any ideas. As always, you can get into our patrons-only content by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Tuesdays After Twilight, or you can also donate to the Quilliet Move to Higher Ground movement, and that's at mthg.org, and just send us, like, a proof of your donation, like a screenshot of the email that you get or whatever. Um, And then the social medias, you know them. I'm going to say them again. My shirt's literally unbuttoned. It's 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 happy hour. Um, okay, Twitter and no, Twitter is Taft Pod. Instagram and Tumblr are Tuesdays are for Twilight. And yeah, 
that's about it. Paige, you got anything else? I'm just going to reiterate what I said earlier. Um, I would really love any graphic novel recommendations, but also I've decided that the only books that I really, really love are young adult literature. I don't care what anyone says, young adult lit slaps. It slaps. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, regular adult literature, but you got you got to catch up. All the books that I read that are young adult, I'm like, I'm dying for them. They're so good. So if you have any young adult lit books that you recommend as well, I, I'd love to hear any book recommendations. So my final word is a call out to any young adult graphic novels or young adult uh, just fiction books that you guys like. I would love to hear your recs. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So hit us up. And we'll see you next week for Chapter 25 of Midnight Sun. Bye, guys. Bye. Our amazing intro and outro music was performed by Danny Plowman and produced by Alberto Beltran. You can follow Danny at Danimal6, and that's six the word, not six the number, Danimal6 underscore on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs>